The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a very happy but confused Rico Bronia. The New York Mets have won another series. In fact, they have won every series they have played this season with the exception of the mauling in Milwaukee. That's the only series they've lost. Obviously, they swept Oakland over the weekend. They have now marched their way into Los Angeles, and they went two out of three against a Dodger team that does not feel like the Dodger team of the last five or six years, but that's not our problem. The headline is they won a series, but there are a lot of other headlines, including another pitching injury, including a host of roster moves, and including the controversy surrounding Max Scherzer. So... The finale of this series was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so I'm sure a lot of people didn't get a chance to watch the game. Maybe they listened to it. Maybe they hopefully listened to Craig and I as we didn't talk about it and then talked about it, especially once the Scherzer stuff went down. So it's one of those games, whenever we have these afternoon games, where it's tough to be super focused on everything that happened. But, you know, you're watching Noah pitch. You're watching Max pitch. Bing, bing, bing. Starling Marte is grounding in a double plays. How you doing? Scherzer looks fine through a lot of pitches in the first inning, but he gets through three innings. And there was an odd moment in the third where we notice, Craig and I, that Max is being checked and he's having his glove checked, which is normal. I mean, they are checking everybody these days for the sticky stuff. They're doing a kind of a point of emphasis is what they call. So Max has to change gloves. When he first ran into the dugout, I'm thinking, oh, my God, was he ejected? But he didn't seem upset, didn't seem pissed off. Okay, he's fine. He comes back with another glove. I thought it was gamesmanship from David Roberts just because of the fact that David Roberts, Dave Roberts, we're close. I call him David sometimes. That because he pitched there a year and a half ago, because they were checking before an inning was starting, which they do, but it seems a little peculiar. I thought maybe it was gamesmanship. But as the game has gone on and the story continued to evolve, we found out that Phil Cuzzy loves sticky stuff and loves ejecting people over what he thinks is sticky stuff. So Max pitches the third inning and does great. Now, I love this because angry Max Scherzer can sometimes be really good Max Scherzer. We know that playoff Max Scherzer we don't want to talk about. But angry Max Scherzer, good Max Scherzer. So he pitches a clean third, comes out for the fourth, they check him again. And at that point, we see Cuzzy and uh, Bellino throw him out the game. Scherzer's pissed. Buck didn't give a rat's ass. More on that in a second. And Max is now ejected. And so there's a few thoughts. My thought, and by the way, let me just point this out. Pete Hoffman is not here today, which is great news. Because A, we got Tommy Lugauer filling in. But B, if Pete was here, and I love you, Pete, he would want to spend 10 minutes on J.D. Martinez having the game he had in game two. Because he wanted J.D. on the Mets. So we're not going to do any of that today. But. When Buck Showalter is having a stroll at the beach and Max Scherzer's ejected, here's my thought. And this is not being on the air with Craig. This is my thought as a Met fan. 
My thought is squarely, how do I win this game? That's it. Not thinking about Max. Not thinking about suspensions. I'm annoyed. Doesn't feel like it's fair. I certainly want to know more. But in this moment, it's how the F are they going to get 18 outs from this bullpen? That's what I thought. Did you think that, Luke? No, I didn't think that at all, Ev. I thought for sure. You're not thinking about the game? No, I really didn't. No, no, I didn't. Because here's why, Ev. And I I said it on the air, and I'll reiterate it here if you missed it. I knew the Mets would win. Like, blindly, I knew the Mets would win the game. Just because of that feeling I have, because I've seen this a lot with the Mets over the years, and even recently, even like last year, this happened a lot. A lot of things are going wrong outside the field, even on the field, but not having to do with the actual game itself. The Mets always come out on top in those games. They win those games. I knew the Mets would win. I was extremely confident. I wasn't like you who said they would lose or bet them live, the Dodgers, that is. As well, that's common. Hedge. That's common. I do that all the time. I understand that you do that all the time, <laughs> but you did it here, and, and we didn't talk about that on the radio, so I'm going to out you here. No, I, I was I was, I was, was okay. Yakabonis is money good, baby. He Stop doesn't even realize it. it. He's money good. By he the got way, out of the jam in Oakland. He pitched well okay, today. I want to call you out, though, And the bullpen thing. was rested, too. Now, you know you're talking to somebody who remembers these weird moments oh, really strongly. Beyond remembers. There's a game that jumps out of me that they didn't win. And that's what kind of pisses me off. Like, I don't agree with the thesis that this is the kind of game they win. Something crazy happened. Someone got ejected. In fact, what a parallel. Noah Syndergaard was the guy ejected. Sunday Night Baseball, Mets-Dodgers, Terry Collins, you're putting me in the jackpot, or whatever that freaking phrase was. The Mets lost that game. And they lost that game because Noah Syndergaard was ejected. And I, I forgot who came in the game after that. I can't quote you on that. But they lost that game to the Dodgers. It was Memorial Day weekend. And it was a Saturday night. I don't think it was a Sunday night. I'm trying to remember the exact day. So I don't necessarily agree that something kooky like this happens. The Mets are automatic to win. But I will say this, and this is what really pumps me up about this win. This is the kind of game they won last year. The New York Mets in winning 101 games. And I said this about the Oakland series. I think I said it about the finale of the Oakland series on the last Rico. That that game felt like a loss. Everything about the Sunday game against the A's felt like a loss. Today, think about it. Scherzer's out. Yacobonis is in. Don't give me this. He's money good. You need to get 18 outs from your bullpen. And, oh, by the way, you got to scratch out a run, something you haven't done against Syndergaard and the Dodger bullpen yet. So I don't necessarily feel that's a win, but the fact they won it reminds me of last year. And that's the best compliment you could give this year's team, I think. I agree. I've, look, it, it, all jokes aside, it, it does remind me of a win last year. I'll, pull, I'll pour slight cold water on it. The Dodgers are not that good. Doesn't They're matter. Good. They're the Dodgers. No, I agree. But my point is, Evan, yes, they got the win. They got the win on Sunday. They got the win today. Games you wouldn't expect them to win. The impo- the opponents being a little inferior, I think, helped well, that. Hold on, hold on a second about this opponent thing. This, this was the Dodgers are nuts. not the Dodgers. The Evan. Dodgers are not the Dodgers. I said that. I agree. They're not the team of the last five okay. years. The San Diego Padres are struggling. I agree with you. Fair enough. If the Padres suck mm-hmm. and the Dodgers suck, yep. then other than Atlanta and Milwaukee, is there anybody good in the National League based on that? No. Nobody. Then who cares? Then who cares? Yeah, that's it. Just the Braves. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, it is the Braves. I, I know and it, that's it. I know it didn't work out well in this season, but in 2006, the National League was terrible. There's a reason why the Mets were far and away the best team. Mm-hmm. Mets had a good team, but there was nobody that was even decent. I think they may have been the only team to win 90 games or maybe San Diego barely won 90. Whatever it was, they were the only good team. I'll give you a basketball analogy. I'd love to point this one out. I know that the Nets got to the NBA Finals in back-to-back years because the East sucked. Do you think I care? No, of course not. So then Ev. who cares if the no, Dodgers No, no, I, I get that. They but won their f- – their f- 
Why they're five and one in their first six games on a West Coast trip? Period. Stop. That has to be slightly. Period, stop. Hold on, Evan. It has to be slightly <laughs> accounted for. Though. No, it doesn't. You can't just like no, you doesn't. know give the Mets their flowers and not look at it a little bit more critically when you say, well, the A's, A's are beyond embarrassing. You have to beat what's on your schedule. A hundred percent. And in the Dodgers' case, they are, and the Padres are going to be two of the teams that are there come October. No doubt. Falls and all. I agree, but right now, the way the Dodgers are playing, they're not the Dodgers that we have seen over the last couple of years. Doesn't matter. Again, it's slight. I said slight. I use the word slight. Slight cold water right. on the wind. So, Scherzer's gone. You're focused on Max and you know the fact that we're going to talk about the win. And I reminded him, on the Rico, we talk about the wins. Okay? The Rico's very different. We talk about the games. And I wanted to win this game. And the fact they pulled this out, Jacobonis was great. Jeff Brigham, who's made two appearances now since he's been recalled, and he was recalled just a day and a half ago or a day ago, depends on when you're listening, he made big pitches. Drew Smith has looked a lot better. David Robertson battled his way through the eighth inning, and I continue to love what Buck's doing. I got no issue with this, using him in the eighth. And Adam Adovino, besides the home run of David Peralta, and I got a very interesting fact about Adam Adovino I'll get to later. He got through it. The Met offense came through. Brandon Nimmo had five freaking hits, which is incredible. And they pull off a very impressive victory against the L.A. Dodgers. Now let's get to Max. I don't know, and I don't think any of us are going to know until MLB checks out the glove, what the hell happened? Because Max Scherzer, and I give Max this, because I know you and I, to varying degrees, have taken our shots at Max. I think rightfully so. We're not being you know, mean to the guy. We're calling him out. And I mentioned this on the air. I've mentioned this on the pod. He's a mercenary. He's here to win. He's here to pitch well. And our big memory of him is obviously not pitching well in the two biggest games he needed to pitch. But the one thing I do appreciate about Max is he tells it like it is in these postgames. He's just very, very blunt. Buck Showalter is not. I I don't want to spend this entire pod ripping Buck, but I am getting so sick and tired of his act. I got to tell you, he's a great manager. But the act of lying about injuries, lying about roster moves, and I, I will say the word lying because he literally says stuff that's not true and we're all supposed to chuckle, and then not telling you anything. So it is postgame. He didn't say anything, whatever, that's Buck. Max Scherzer, and this is very dangerous because I'm telling you right now I would not do this. I, I don't think I would do it about anything. Max Scherzer swore on his kids, which I, I makes me very uncomfortable and he when also, someone does that. Yeah, and he also swore on his life. He swore on his Forget kids. Forget his life. He swore on his kids. No, I understand that. But, Evan, when a guy goes, I swear on my kids and my life, yeah. you can't match that. That's, he put his life on the line and his kids' life. So it's two things. Like, number one, How do you just, counter that? I, I would never say that about anything. Right. I just, I'd feel very uncomfortable. But, but you know what, Evans? And I don't think that's this is the case. We've all done it. Admittedly, like, right. we go, oh, I swear on my mother. I swear on my kids. Right, right. But we say it, you know, maybe to our buddy. We don't say it on TV and in we front also, of the world. We also don't say it about sticky stuff. And basically <laughs> what Max Scherzer was saying was, I had rosin. And he went through the whole process. I thought he did a great job in his postgame, at least explaining his side of things. You want to call him a liar? That's up to everybody out there. That they had they, rosin on my glove. Because he told me to change it, I change it. He tells me to wash my hands. I wash my hands with alcohol. He even gives us the fact that there's an MLB official watching the whole thing. So an MLB official is back there watching him do this. He comes back. He says, okay, throws an inning. Next inning, same problem. Eventually throws him out the game. Scherzer's screaming, it's rosin. It's a mix of rosin and sweat. And Phil Cuzzy, and Buck did point this out, so this was the one positive of Buck. He took a shot at Cuzzy. He said, Phil is the one guy that ejects people for this. And it's true. 
There have been three ejections since they started doing this kind of checks, and all of them have come from Phil Cuzzy. So Scherzer gives us the, I swear on my kids, I wouldn't be dumb enough after they checked me an inning earlier to do anything nefarious. It was rosin. It was sweat. And basically said, they better not suspend me. He didn't use those words. This is a legal thing, is what he pointed Read out. Read my lips. <laughs> yeah, it was. he kept going, sweat and rosin, sweat and rosin. So now, Met fans, this is the sweat and rosin game. This will I, always go down as the sweat and rosin I game. I believe him, by the way. I really do. Oh, I do, too, only because, like you said, Ev, like when you start swearing on your kids, when you start swearing on your life, when you are adamant, adamant, because, and we already saw it, and you're going to see it over the next couple of days, this is this is going to be embarrassing. This is going to be like Law & Order SVU. They're oh, gonna, checking his glove oh, and investigating Oh, my it. God. Yeah. Like they're checking for like whatever on it. No real fan or regular fan actually cares about this stuff. We care about the suspension, though. We care about the suspension, but we don't care if our guys are cheating. You brought it up on the show today. If you get caught, just cheat better. Please. Yes, like yes. just don't get caught. That's all we care yeah, about. Yeah, look, this isn't a moral thing with no. sticky stuff. Stuff. I don't think people break. view it the way steroids was viewed or anything like that. But I, I am naive because I believed Palmero when he sat there at Congress and pointed. But I think when someone is as adamant as Max is, and Max also comes across as somebody who's, he knows the rules. He's a smart guy. He knows the rules. And he will go up to the line, no doubt about it, like he tried to do with the pitch clock. But I don't think he would willingly cheat. And he's right. Like, they just checked me. They just checked my glove. I washed my hands off. Do you really think I'm coming out the next inning with stuff? Well, And, and that's the truth because yeah. that's the best defense. Because even if he was using something nefarious in the third inning, once he's caught but not caught, like, hey, go wash it off and you can come back, you know what you do if you're a cheater? You wash it off and you cheat the next game. You don't do it that of game. Of course. And, and we've all been there before, except for Evan, because he drives 30 miles an hour. When you get pulled over. I once had five speeding tickets in one year. True story. Yeah. And maybe the cop pulls you over and you go, excuse me, I'm Evan Roberts. I host <laughs> the most important show in the afternoons in New York City. And then let's say they let you go. You get a warning. You'd have to be an idiot yes. to immediately, with the cop still sitting there, speed down the road. So that's what Max is saying here. It's like, guys. Yeah. I went to the line. Yeah. They called me out. I would have to be beyond dumb to immediately cheat right after that. That's why like, I don't think that's the case. And, and the reason why that's important for anyone who's like, well, ah, it doesn't matter, is I'm concerned about his performance. That's all we're concerned about. When he makes his next start, so obviously I hope there's no suspension, and then would he be affected by this? I mean, we spent a lot of time, and I think fairly, talking about Garrett Cole and is he affected by not being able to use sticky stuff. If we thought Max Scherzer was depending on this, then there's a performance concern. I don't think there is. I don't. Now, if Max Scherzer struggles, which he was already doing, I don't think it's related to this. I think it's related to the fact he's 39 years old. He's an older pitcher. And when guys get old, and it's the risk you take when you sign him, so we knew this going in, is the fact that you can decline. So I'm not overly concerned about the sticky stuff from a short-term perspective. Just short-term. The suspension's damaging because of the fact that they're now down Carlos Carrasco because their pitching depth is being tested in a major way. And we'll get to the Carrasco stuff. We'll get to a lot of stuff. Game one and two of this series. Brett Beatty's debut, Bucks decisions, all that. But that's the concern short-term. Long-term, I don't think we have to deal with, hey, what's the real Max Scherzer? I don't think that's the case. I think we just have to be concerned with the fact he's a 38, 39-year-old guy and we hope he can still pitch at a high level. And the Mets right now need innings. That's their biggest issue. If I'm ranking the, the current issues, not predicting what's going to be an issue a month from now, right now, what is the biggest issue with the New York Mets team that has a record? 
I mean, how about this? They are now 12 and 7. It's pretty good. It's not bad. Their biggest issue is they get no innings from their starters. And I'm watching this game partially because we're doing a show, thinking what I want to see from Max today with extra days of rest, because remember he was pushed back, is I want Max pitching into the seventh inning. Mets haven't had that this year. They literally have not had a guy pitch seven innings in a game. They haven't had a guy pitch six and a third innings in a game. I wrote it down. I'm going to do this really, really quick. And I would only do this on the recall. Every Mets start. You ready? Six, five, five, five and a third, four, five and a third, four, six, six, four and two thirds, five, five and two thirds, five, four and two thirds, five, five, six, five, three. I mean, that is not sustainable. Like, you can't at most get five, maybe six innings. Their longest start of the year is a six-inning performance, which they've had a handful of times. David Peterson had it in the opener of this series. Kodai Senga had it in the second Marlins start. Tyler McGill had it in opening day against the Marlins, the home opener, I should say. And Max had it in the season opener, even though he basically crapped the bed in the sixth inning. He did pitch six innings. That's it. And so they need guys to go deep into games. I'm never fully convinced that David Peterson or Tyler McGill is going to be that guy. I think if they give you five solid innings like we've seen, you kind of accept that. Six at the most. Kodai Senga, we'll see. I think we'll see about Kodai Senga. They're going to have to keep an eye on his innings because he's never thrown that many in his career. And who knows about Verlander? Like, the guy hasn't pitched yet. So Scherzer, in a lot of ways, with the state of this rotation, despite his age, despite our concerns, is the best candidate to give you seven innings. Like, I'm not asking for eight. I'm not asking even for nine, which would be great. Can a guy go seven innings? Can a guy pitch into the seventh inning? And I was hoping going into this game that would happen. Now, I can't blame him for this. Maybe he would have because he got ejected. But that is right now. You talk about the issues with this team? They need innings from their starting pitching. Their bullpen's been great. It really has. You saw what happened in the finale of this series. You go back to uh, the first game of this series with Drew Smith and Adam Ottavino. David Robertson's been incredible. Their bullpen's been awesome. Like, their bullpen, and this is without Edwin Diaz, which actually frustrates me because I think to myself, oh, my God, if you had Edwin Diaz, this bullpen would even be better. But they need innings from their starting pitching. So this is the thing for Max, whether it's 10 days from now or six days from now. He's got to start going six or seven innings. They need him, of all people, to be that guy. That's got to happen. Uh, as far as the other stuff from this game, I guess we're starting with the third game. We'll get to the other two. Starling Marte leaves with a neck issue. It's concerning because Starling Marte always seems to have something. There's always, like, an injury connected to him. Uh, he's important to this lineup. Obviously, the big bats are important to this lineup, all of them. I think at this point, going into this four-game series against the Giants, I'd sit him for a couple of days. I don't even care if he says his neck is fine. I think give him a couple of off days. The Mets are off to a great start on this road trip. You need to make sure he's healthy. I give him a couple of days. I think Jeff McNeil better start getting used to playing the outfield because the emergence of Brett Beatty makes things a little bit easier. Eduardo Escobar still deserves some opportunity to play. He can play second base. Jeff McNeil can play the outfield. Guillaume can play second base. And Brett Beatty should just play every single day. He should just be out there every day. I'm okay with the sitting against Kershaw because it's Kershaw. He's one of the greatest left-handers in the history of the sport. You want to sit him there? I get it. But against other random lefties, and we've seen it in this series because he's faced a lot of lefties, just not Kershaw, put him out there against them. 
And I think to do that right now, Marte should sit for a couple of days. I got to be careful with Marte. No, absolutely. And Marte's a really, really good player. I wanted him in the Mets forever. I'm glad when they got him. But there's always something, like you said. There's always an injury. When he left today, you know, it was like they didn't tell you why. And it wasn't because he had to pay, you know, the parking meter. We found out he has a stiff neck, which, uh, okay, whatever that means. Give him a few days. Keep him rested. A guy like Marte, you just know going into the year, bro, that you're not getting the full slate from him. Well, so he's got to have, you know, we talk about load management in the NBA. Starling Marte, unfortunately, needs load management. That's think, what he needs. But think about this, and it's not just the stiff neck. It's Buck said something, and it's backed up by performance. Buck said he hasn't looked right the last few days. Now, full disclosure, Lugie would know better than anybody. A proud fantasy owner of Starling Marte. Yes. In fact, tried to trade him to me yesterday. I did. And I wonder why. Because yeah. go back to Sunday's game against Oakland. Starling Marte in Sunday's game against Oakland. Actually, before that. Saturday's game against Oakland. 0 for 3. And I didn't look bad in this game, though, because he stole a base and he got robbed of uh, an amazing catch in that game. You go to Sunday's game. He was terrible. He was 0 for 4, grounded into a double play. He struck out. You go to the opener of this series. He was 1 for 5. You go to the second game in this series, and this is the real concern. 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. And then you go to this game before he was pulled. Two double play balls. Like, he hasn't hit. He hasn't looked great either as well, especially the last two days. But performance-wise, he hasn't been great. And sometimes that's just slumping. But Buck said it after the game. One of the rare times Buck said something, which was, Hasn't looked right the last couple of days. And I think that's a part of why it just makes sense. Give the guy a couple of off days. You don't have to DL him, IL him. Just give him a couple of off days. No, absolutely. If he's struggling and he happens to have a stiff neck and it's convenient, you give him a few days. Look, he's been stealing bases. The bases are the size of the moon now, so it's not hard to necessarily steal a base. But if a guy like that's struggling, veteran guy, you don't want to embarrass him. So you say, yeah, yeah, his neck's a little stiff. We're going to give him a few days. Hopefully when he comes back, he's ready to rock. By the way, one quick thing on this third game, because it relates to something I wanted to get to. And we'll get to game one and game two, the Carrasco injury, the roster moves. So Adam Adovino ends up pitching the ninth inning. And I, I, I've i said this many, many times. I love this. I'm still thrilled that Buck and other managers, Boone does it too, they go to their quote-unquote closer, really their best pitcher, against best hitters. Not necessarily by the inning. And for whatever reason, David Robertson's luck, it seems like he's being used in the eighth inning more than the ninth inning, just because of the order. I mean, you go back to the finale of this series, game three against the Dodgers, David Robertson came up against the heart of the order. He's facing Freddie Freeman. Yeah, you want David Robertson. I think we'd all agree he's their best reliever. Oh, without a doubt. Okay. So he comes in, gets into trouble, gets out of it. Adam Adovino is now pitching the ninth inning. Adam Adovino has always been, last year definitely, but throughout his career, a guy who you want against right-handed hitters. That's who you want. Aaron Boone used to say it. That's the lane for Adam Adovino. So he's faced lefties this season. In fact, there have been 14 at-bats lefties have taken against Adam Adovino this season. And I find this sort of stunning. He's given up two home runs, one of which was the walk-off in Milwaukee against the lefty. Mm -hmm. The other one was the finale against the Dodgers. David Peralta hit a home run. Whatever. He had a three-run lead. Not a big deal. What if I told you those are the only two hits he's given up to lefties? Lefties at two for 14 with those two home runs against Adam Adovino, while righties have actually had more success. I think they're hitting right around 300. So very small sample size. Doesn't really mean anything other than it's an observation. (laughs) He's actually had odd reverse splits this year. The only problem is one of the hits he gave up against the lefty was a walk-off. That's the only, you know, (laughs) slight issue. 
But Adam Adovino has at least shown you, and I think what this tells me more than his struggles against righties, because that's irrelevant to me, I think the longer track record makes you feel good in that lane, is that you're comfortable using him against anybody. You'd ideally want to use him against right-handed hitters, but he has shown you he can get a lefty out. And Buck's been comfortable using him against lefties, and a part of it is they kind of have to because they only have one lefty in their bullpen in Brooks Raleigh. Rally, who's being used earlier in games. I corrected that. It's, it's, it's Rally. It is Rally. Rally. It's not Raleigh. It's Rally. Evan has one or two players a year in this town that he gets the name wrong, and I have to correct them over and over you again know, like I'm uh, his father. But you know who I got right all the time now? Who do you get? Oh, uh, That I used to never get right. Give me it. Luis Guillorme. Guillorme. I got it right now. Yes. I, I created a mononic, mononic, a mononic device. Oh, Mnemonic device? Mnemonic, I think. Mnemonic device? I think it's mnemonic. mnemonic device? I think it's mnemonic, but okay. I'm sure that people could tweet at us and uh, correct us. It's a device. Yes. <laughs> That's used. And now I never get it wrong. There's a Thibodeau. There's a Thibodeau. <laughs> Evan's very confused. I get very confused. Volpe, Volpe. But here's the bottom line. Adam Adovino. Buck calls him that, by the way. Adam Adovino. Like it's Vino, isn't it? I like Adam Adovino, the way he says it. Whatever you want to call him, he's been great. And so has this Met bullpen, especially in a finale of this series. Now. Let's go back to the opener. Game one of this series, Mets coming off a sweep of the Oakland Athletics. They're taking on the L.A. Dodgers. David Peterson's on the mound against Dustin May. And it was one of those wacky, wild West Coast games that will keep you up until 1 a.m. that more times than not will end up with a Dodger hitting a walk-off home run. That's, that's usually how these games go. And early on... Freddie Freeman's just destroying us. It's a home run in the first inning. It's a home run in the fifth inning. The Mets are down one nothing out of the gate. They come right back. Daniel Vogelbach hits a two-run homer. That's for all you Vogelbach haters. That's for Hoffman. Hoffman said he should have been DFA'd. He said, you know how you make room for Beatty? Get rid of Vogelbach. He's wrong. You're wrong. I'm not saying he's the answer, but you're not DFA'ing him. You keep him around. All right? He has some use. In fact, I have a mind-numbing stat about Daniel Vogelbach that I will present later on in the podcast. If I forget, please remind me. I wrote it down. Thank you. Vogelback hits the two-run home run. Mets retake the lead 2-1. to one. What does David Peterson do? With two outs ahead of the count on a guy who no one's heard of, Austin wins, their backup catcher. He's really their backup to their backup because their starting catcher, Will Smith's on the I.L. So Austin Barnes has filled in as the starter. Here's Austin wins now at the plate. Two on, two out. Peterson's ahead, one and two. Those are effing hanging slider, and wins just crushes it to right field to run double. I'm the, that was the moment where I'm just like, I'm really going to stay up for this crap? Like, I'm literally going to stay up and watch this garbage. Dodgers take the lead. I'm convinced now Dustin May's going to settle down. I have an affinity for Dustin May. He's got beautiful red hair. The Mets rally. They get the first two on in the fourth. Jeff McNeil comes through with an RBI single. Daniel Vogelback makes really productive contact with an RBI ground out. And then Brett Beatty, our guy, in his second at-bat of the year, behind in the count, delivers RBI single. Mets are up 5-3. What does David Peterson do in the fifth inning after he gets the first two outs? Gives up a single to Mookie Betts. And then that son of a bitch, Freddie Freeman, hits a two-run home run. We can't get away from this guy. We have him with the Dodgers. We barely have to see his stupid face. We see him barely. And what does he do? First game against him in 2023, home run in his first at-bat, game-tying home run in his second at-bat. Very frustrating. Then you get the Max Muncy home run. And as far as Peterson still being in this game, so let's walk through it so we remind ourselves. 
Peterson gives up the bomb to Freeman, a lefty, by the way. It's now a 5-5 game. Mets don't score in the top of the sixth, even though they rally. Beatty struck out in a big spot. And now it's the bottom of the sixth inning. You've got Taylor, Muncie, and Vargas coming up against Peterson. The reason why I think I was okay with Peterson starting the inning, I'm not going to rip buck on this, is because I think they just were desperate for what I mentioned earlier, which is, can you give me a sixth inning? They don't have David Robertson available, so you could kind of pencil him away. Now, you do have Drew Smith. You do have Brooks Raley. You do have Adam Adovino. So it's not like you don't have anybody. But you do have one key reliever not available in this game. And the thought is, even though it's against four, five, six of the order, dude, I, I, I got to get another inning out of you. And he gets the first out on Taylor, and then he gives up that just, I mean, my, Max Muncy murdered a baseball. And that was the home run, if you recall, where the Dodgers stadium people decided to shut the lights off before the ball actually landed, which is a very dangerous thing. <laughs> That's like a new thing in baseball where they do the light shows in the middle of the game. And I don't like it in general because it gives, it just makes me sick. Like, what are we doing? We're at a baseball game. Nah, it's pretty cool. I, I like it. I also like the organ player at Dodger Stadium. They're doing the yes. Star Wars stuff, yes. and they were doing the Catalina wine mixer late in the game. So I like that stuff. The lights, I don't know. They're trying to t- turn it into like an NHL game where there's a lot of stuff going on. As long as nobody gets hurt. That's well, it. They're if shutting... he's doing something dopey, like you thought uh, Devers got hit in the face today, he ended up not getting hit in yeah, the face. Yeah, in the Red Sox game, they did it in between innings, and Devers almost got hit with a baseball because the lights went Now, out. if Pete Alonso takes one to the dome and gets hurt, then I'll be pissed. I, I but otherwise, no. I, not that the Mets listen or the Mets care what my opinion is. Oh, I think those are actually both wrong, the, by bo- the way. Oh, they do? They, they care? They 100% listen, and they 100% care. You are okay. the pod piper of Mets fans. All right, let me just say this, and I can't speak for all Mets fans. I'm only speaking for myself. Don't do this crap at City Field. Like, guy hits a home run, play music, do whatever. Don't do the light show. It's it's just, it, first of all, it gives me a headache. <laughs> I have to. So, Evan, the City Field that has an enormous scoreboard and all the stuff going on doesn't yeah. think there's going to be a light show. There's going to be a trapeze act there by next season. I'm I mean, right. they're going to turn into the circus. I'm all right with the trapeze act. I'm okay with the uh, fireworks. Don't do the lights going off and going on. That's too much, man. There's too I- much going on with that. There's too much going on in general at baseball games. Like, I feel like, you know, and, and maybe we're different breeds, but, like, in between innings, I just want to talk and chat, and they always do these, like, contests. We were looking for Curtis Granderson, but well, you still get a T-shirt. You know what's funny about that? Let me just say real quick. I, I don't mind that. The key is don't make anything too loud because my big issue with Brooklyn Net games and Nick games oh, is the NBA. Oh, my God. Is I can't speak. Like, I can't. Like, if we go to a Nets game, forget the Knicks as much because I also sit right under a speaker at Barkley Center. We will not converse unless the game's going on. Because when the game isn't going on, I'm not screaming over it. Like, I'll lose my voice. You'll lose your voice, too. It's like, I can't speak, and I hate that. They've kept that fair at baseball games where it is music, but it's not crazy loud. So I don't mind those games as long as, like, it's not overwhelming. No, basketball's ridiculous. I mean, I like 50 Cent, but I don't need to hear him his music blasting as a guy's bringing the ball up the court. Too loud. All right, uh, so Peterson gives up the home run. They get through the inning, which I do appreciate. So they're down by a run, and then they rally in that seventh inning. And it was a beautiful, beautiful rally that started off in the most stunning way possible. I can't get over this. Like, I still can't believe this. It started with a base hit by Tomas Nito, of all people. 
<laughs> Tomas Nito and his 105 batting average starts a rally with a single. Only fitting considering the Dodgers had two runs driven in by Austin wins. So I guess it's only fair. Nimmo gets a hit. Marte gets a hit. Lindor has a productive out that drives in a run. Alonzo gets a hit. They can't break it open anymore, which was concerning, and they failed it with an opportunity in the eighth inning to break it open as well. But the Mets retake the lead, and then the bullpen does a tremendous, tremendous job. Really did. Brooks Raleigh pitches a Brooks Raleigh pitches a clean seventh, gets into trouble in the eighth inning. Drew Smith gets a king size out, as Gary Cohn says, striking out Miguel Vargas, and then Adovino gives you a clean ninth inning. That was a really good win. I always say West Coast wins feel a little bit better because if you're staying up until midnight, 12.30, 1 a.m., it almost feels more important. When you put that kind of effort in to watch your team play a West Coast game, I really believe the losses sting more and the wins feel better. I do believe that. No, I agree with you on that, Evan. I felt that way like last night. Like I'm sitting here and the Mets are we're down like, you know, three nothing. They're 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 right there. It's like you're almost not that you're rooting against the Mets, you're not rooting against the Mets, but there's a part of you as it gets closer to midnight. Now I'm not like you, I don't have to get up early, I don't have kids, I live down the block. But I'm sitting there, I'm like, if the Dodgers blow the game open at seven nothing, at least I go to bed. It puts yeah. me out of my misery. Yeah. But they kept you just there, close enough to where I had to watch this entire thing. It's one in the morning. That's the worst. And they lose. And they never, you know, got anything off the Dodgers last No time. doubt. And we'll get to game two in a second. Here's the one, and this was brought up to me on Twitter, and I have to admit, I didn't think much about it at the time. It's an interesting discussion that's further than this one just just one at bat. But it was brought up to me, and I I'll give the guy credit because he tweeted at me, and it was a it was a good thought. I got to go through all my tweets for a second. Hold on a second. Uh... And as Evan goes through his tweets, I'm going to break the fourth wall here. Evan has an unbelievable memory, the best memory in the history of sports talk radio. He doesn't remember every play. He is reading off a scorebook right Oh, no, now. I tell everybody oh, that. Oh, you've told people that? Yeah. I'm just wondering because I'm, I'm thinking, well, there's always new listeners. If you're a new listener to the Rico, Evan uh, writes down what happens. Absolutely. Scoring a game is the greatest thing in the world because you'll never forget what happened. And that's the reason why it's fantastic. Like, I can go back to a game. Obviously, this is just a few days ago, but I can go back a game 15 years. And I you won't remember everything from 06, game seven, but you start reading that scorecard, you're like, holy crap, that happened. You're Crazy. Right. Holy crap, that yeah. happened. You're right. I think scoring is the greatest thing ever, and that's why when we do these shows where the Mets are on, the finale, Wednesday afternoon, Mets-Dodgers, Craig and I are on the air, and I don't score the game, I feel like a lost puppy dog. <laughs> I really do. I it, It's very difficult. But let me give credit. Henry Skywalker brought this up. If he looked better in the at-bat against Vesia in the sixth, I would have felt differently. Don't you have to pinch hit? For Brett Beatty with Eduardo Escobar, when he comes up seventh inning, bases loaded two out against another lefty. And they actually went to the lefty, Justin Brule, at that point. And it's a very interesting point. So, Beatty, this is Beatty's debut for the season. His numbers against lefties, if you look deeper at it in the minors, they're not great. They're not horrendous. They're not great. Like, like you'd expect. Most guys are better against right-handed pitching. So he starts this game against Dustin May. He grounds out against the righty May, gets the RBI single against Dustin May. In the sixth inning, because the Dodgers do have three lefties in their bullpen, that's when he faces Vesia with first and second two out. He struck out. And Henry Skywalker's right. He did not look good in that at-bat. At that point, sixth inning, no question you're letting him hit. We're now an inning later. The Mets have taken the lead at this point, which maybe relaxes you a tad. Bases loaded two out, do you go to Escobar? 
So here's my answer to this. There's two parts. I don't trust Eduardo Escobar. Like, Eduardo Escobar, yes, he's better as a right-hand hitter. Yes, I see a world in which his new role could be DH against righties. 100%. He hasn't hit. He hasn't hit from the left side. He hasn't hit from the right side. His one home run was as a lefty. So if this was Escobar second half last year where there's a clear difference in performance, I'd say, yeah, I'm trying to win the game. Escobar gives me the best chance in that moment. Number one, I don't feel like Eduardo Escobar has given me much of a chance based on how bad some of his at-bats have been. That's number one. Number two, Beatty. How do you want to handle him? Like, we have to have a conversation about this. Should Brett Beatty start against lefties? Should he face lefties out of the bullpen late in a game like this when you have Escobar on the bench, who's a better right-hand hitter? So in that moment, first game, I got a three-run lead. Escobar's done nothing. I will say I got no issue with it. Let the kid play. Game two, and we'll get more into that game in a second, I have no issue with him sitting against Kershaw. He's Clayton Kershaw. He's one of the great left-hand pitchers in the history of baseball. You don't want to let a bad performance against Kershaw, which everybody had, you don't want to let that turn into a slump. I, I'm i not saying I'm cheering it on. I'm saying I have no issue with sitting him against Clayton Kershaw. I get that, Evan, but I, I would just say this. How does one get better at something, right? Totally agree They do it. So I look at Beatty and I look at Alvarez and I look at when Mauricio comes up here, hopefully they don't trade him. These are guys. These are corner pieces. I want them out there against everybody. They are not. You're not going to pinch hit for Lindor. You're not going to pinch hit for Alonso. You're not going to pinch hit for Nimmo. You can't compare so when, the two, though. No, no, no. Okay, but my point is, is that my what I expect from them and what I want for them is to become those guys. Yes. The only way to become that is that we're not pinch hitting for I, you in the seventh inning against the guy that we've never heard of. Okay. Kershaw, so, we could have the argument. Get first, you know, second game back up. That we could have a conversation about, but I, not late in the game, first game. No I way. think the reason, just with the Kershaw thing. I'll never forget this, and I think you remember this too. Michael Conforto had a tremendous April. Yep. He gets a start on a Saturday, I think, against Madison Bumgarner. And we're like, great, he should play Bumgarner. Same attitude, he's our future, let him face a lefty. Has a brutal day, and then right at that moment, and I can't tell you it's connected, but it feels like it was, goes through a massive batting slump, never recovers, gets sent down. And so I think the fear you have is guys going well, guys playing well. Now, all of a sudden, a guy runs into not a normal lefty, not Alex Vessia. He runs into Clayton Kershaw, and he's out of whack. Yeah, but Kershaw it, also turned the clock back a little bit. He was like classic Kershaw I, no, last I night. Agree with you that. know what I mean? He has another Kershaw the last couple years. He was like dynamite. You know what's funny about that? Like right? Kershaw the last couple years is still freaking good. I agree. But Evan, he was clear cut the best pitcher in baseball, the best pitcher of his generation 100%. forever. He was awesome. I said, here what I would counter that with. If you handle him, Beatty, that is, or Alvarez, which they've done, with kit gloves. And we get to the playoffs, and let's say we do it all year, and then you want to unleash them, you can't because you treated them like that all season. Okay, if you do, if you do that. You're talking about October, which you're right about. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about April. My opinion today is going to be different in May and June, July, based on performance. Like one thing that would change your opinion, which it hasn't yet, is the Escobar question. Escobar hasn't hit. So I totally get, which is my answer, I'm not pinch hitting him. He sucks. He isn't hitting. If Eduardo Escobar started tearing it up against lefties to the point where he's forcing his way back in the lineup, he's becoming the right-handed DH, that question is answered differently, even in July. Because now all of a sudden you're like, 
I got a guy who's hitting 350s against lefties sitting on my bench. It's bases loaded. Oh, I'm facing the Yankees. I really hate the Yankees. That's you, by the way. You're going to try to win the game. Yeah. And, and there and, will be a point, maybe, where Escobar clearly gives you that best chance. He did not on Monday. Uh, Monday. He did not on Monday because he hasn't hit this season. Sure. And and I think that's – and I was thinking about this the other night, so I'm glad that we brought this up. Is the Mets do have sort of a weird conundrum this year where they're obviously expected to win a ton of games. They're a World Series favorite. But they have veterans struggling. They have young players they, they want to get out there. But, like, to your point, if Escobar starts to hit, he's clearly not part of the future, but he could be part of the present. Where do you, How do you manage present, future? Oh, dude. Like, it's a tr- but it's a tricky it's, it's dance not, to play. It's not tricky. It's not? It's not tricky based on the way the Mets are acting. Your opinion and my opinion is excluded on this. They are acting as if it's just about winning. The fans want the younger players to play, The, the fans want to win, though. I agree, but they want to win, and they want the. They think the younger players give us the best chance I, no, no, to I win. I agree, but we right now the veterans that you mentioned, specifically Escobar, has been terrible, horrible. So what gives you the best chance to win is Brett Beatty. Yes, if we're sitting here in the middle of even July, forget October, our mentality is to win every single game. If Eduardo Escobar is performing at a high level, which I just described. More Met fans would say, no, go win the game. But the only way he's going to perform at a high level is if he's out there. We don't want nah, him out he's there. Gonna, trust me. No, it's I baseball. understand that. He's going to get his reps. I, I agree. Everybody plays. He's going to play. But I think, like, my point is is that we want to see those guys. Like, that's been the big thing with Alvarez is that people are comparing him to Gary Sanchez now. And then some of the – I just think he's overwhelmed, out, overmatched. I like Alvarez. I think he's going to be good. But he's overmatched right so, now. People say, well, he's not out there every day, Lugie. Well, that's well, because they're, you know, what, and around Okay, him. completely different guys. But in terms of Alvarez, I'm actually encouraged. I'm going to tell you this. The fact he played two games in Oakland, I thought it would be one. He played two. Encouraging. As far as the Dodgers series is concerned, he only played one game. I admit that. I think it was the same thing. I think Buck Showalter, and I, I, I'm not saying this is the reason, but I understand it if it is. I don't know if I want to send a kid up against Clayton Kershaw right now. It's different in June, July, August. I'm talking about right now. Alvarez has barely played. Beatty just got called up. I have a respect for Clayton Kershaw where I don't want to allow him to send those guys into massive batting slumps. It's one game. We play him in the playoffs. I'm answering this differently. I'm talking about right now. So I think the fact that Alvarez has played three of the last six games, it's a sign that, and here's what I would predict, because Pete and I have been predicting what, what games Alvarez starts. He'll start two of the games in San Francisco, and we're starting to see as a trend. He caught Max Scherzer. He caught back-to-back games. He had a few hits on Wednesday. It's trending in a direction where he's going to play more. We wanted it right away, and I did want it right away. I raised my hand. It's starting to feel like we're going to get it. He just has to perform. And it was only three innings with Max, so I can't say he did a great job with him. But he got to catch Max Scherzer, right? Yeah. He's hitting a little bit more. He got. He has to get in rhythm. And he's the only way to get in rhythm, rhythm is to keep playing. Keep I agree, playing. but it's yeah. slow. Okay, with Beatty. Back to Beatty. He should play every day. Yes. Okay? Kershaw is a rare example. There are very few Clayton Kershaws that we are going to bring up. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. You don't have to, Let's look at our division, right? There's yeah. a hell of a good Max lefty. Freed. Oh, yeah. Is he playing against him? In big games against the Braves, games we... I understand what the Phillies did last year. Met fans, we want to so, win the friggin' division. Okay, so, so those are going to be key games. Here's my answer to that one. Um, there are, we've got four in San Francisco. Right. We've got three against Washington. At minimum, seven games before the Mets take on the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. And we'll see where the Freed holds, where it kind of falls. I don't, I don't even know if he'll pitch in that series. I have no idea. 
let's see what he's doing against lefties. Like, he's going to face lefties like he did um, off the be- on Monday. In his first game, he faced two lefties. But Freed's an elite lefty. Elite. I, we're getting there. My point is, let's build up the sample size. Okay. Let's see how he does against lefties. Between now and then, Alex Wood of the Giants just went on the IL. I think the Mets were scheduled to face him. So I got to see how many more lefties they're going to see. But no one they're facing is Kershaw. No one they're facing is even Max Freed. For now, I play him every day. I agree. I was just, I understand the Kershaw thing. And I think as we get better performances from Escobar, if he ever turns it around, and a bigger sample size on Beatty, there may be a day in which we're all in agreement, pinch hit for him, seventh inning, big spot. First game, I wasn't ready to do it. So I, I appreciate the question by Henry Skywalker on social media. It was a good one. But I think we explained it, like a 15-minute explanation. <laughs> now we would handle it. But I would play him every day. I would. No, I play I, him every day. No, absolutely. Beatty should play every day. No, you have to treat this guy as a future superstar of your team. And if that if that's what he is, his first game up, he's up there for every single at-bat in that game. No doubt. As far as the Kershaw game is concerned, uh, he was brilliant. It's one of those games, and I, I don't do this often because most times than not, I'll get frustrated. I'll rip my own guys. I think Clayton Kershaw was just fantastic, and that's it. I, I you know, We can go back to the first inning. Nimmo hits a line drive at Jason Hayward. He drops it. It's a three-base error. Clayton Kershaw went to work. Strikes out Marte, strikes out Lindor, strikes out Alonzo, and they were done. They had no chance. They didn't even make a lot of great contact against him. He was on a mission. Now, seventh inning, they did have a chance. And I got to give major props to Mark Hanna because think about where we are in this game. It's 3 nothing. We'll get to Tyler McGill in a second. Uh, three nothing, seventh inning, two outs, nobody on. Crowd's electric. Kershaw strikes out Lindor and Alonzo to start the seventh inning, three nothing. We're all close to shutting this game off at this point. Mark Canna proceeds to foul pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch off. The Dodger fans are standing the entire time because they're rooting Kershaw on for what they assume is the final batter. Let him get his final strikeout. It would be his ninth. Let's call it a day. And he bloops a single after three. 13 pitches. That was a tremendous at-bat. So sometimes when a team doesn't hit, the easy thing to say is they didn't care. They went out there, they didn't care, they gave up. I hear Yankee fans say that a lot. You can't say that about the Mets on Tuesday night against Kershaw. They faced a great player. And Mark Canna, at least, with two outs and nobody on and the crowd begging for a strikeout, would not give in. So I know it's a random at-bat to bring up, but I thought it was awesome. And then... Jeff McNeil on the first pitch rips a single. So here we are. Two on, two out, Tommy Pham seventh inning. And here's my debate. They had Evan Phillips warming up in the bullpen. I wanted Dave Roberts to take him out because I'm thinking, oh, he goes to the righty. We go to Vogelbach uh, or maybe even Beatty at that point. I don't think Beatty was used at that point. No, because he was used an inning later. We got a shot. We got, let's go for it. And I was curious who they would go to, Vogelbach or Beatty. But Dave Roberts, this credit, kept Kershaw on the game, which meant Tommy Pham is staying in the game, and he struck out. That was very frustrating because it was set up for the Mets to ruin Clayton Kershaw's 200th win party. Two on, two out. His pitch counts over 100. Like, I was thinking, not a three-run home run, but, hey, Tommy Pham rips a single. It's three to one. Here we go. We get him out of the game. It was, a, it was an interesting moment in that seventh inning. I'll give you the platform on your own podcast here, not that I need to. Evan off the air today was very upset about a stat that was given about Clayton Kershaw against the Mets. Would you care to rift on that? Yeah, so here's the thing. Clayton Kershaw against the New York Mets has dominated in the regular season. 
I, I can't deny that. And I'm going to give you one game that jumps out at me more than any other. In 2015, the New York Mets got off to a great start. They started to struggle, and they had no lineup. Their lineup was pathetic. And I don't know if you remember this night. They were facing Clayton Kershaw in July, and it was the height of the Mets having no weapons. I think John Mayberry was the cleanup hitter. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So I go to City Field with my dad. It was the first time, the only time this has ever happened. The buzz in the section before the game started was, Kershaw's going to pitch a perfect game. Swear to God. <laughs> and... When has that ever happened? One, two, three, first. One, two, three, second. One, two, three, third. You have to look this up. I think he took it to the sixth inning. Wow. And the, from the jump, we're all talking. He's going to pitch a perfect game. I mean, a, line bar- a lineup with a Mayberry hit cleanup, you wouldn't think he'd mow them down, but uh, he did. Well, no, we knew he'd mow them down. A perfect game. <laughs> and I'll never forget that game. They broke it up, and we had no shot. And it, it led eventually to Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson, Yoenis Cespedes. The story had a somewhat happy ending. Obviously, the Mets won the division and all that. But there's no denying that Clayton Kershaw has dominated the Mets. I can bore you with the numbers. It was at 11-0, 12-0, 2 ERA. Uh, he's the only National League team he's never lost to. He's lost to every other National League team. Mets have never beat him. But here's my problem with this stat. When it mattered the most, they beat him. He lost a game in the postseason to the great Jacob DeGrom. Game one, 2015, NLDS. We beat him! So how's it a stat? So how's it a stat? They beat him! We beat him! So how's it not a stat? It's it's misinformation! It's misinformation! They beat him! Now... Right? They, of course! <laughs> of, this isn't like extending a hitting streak from season to season. They beat him! Not only, Lugie, did they beat him... Every other game Kershaw started against the Mets in all those regular season games, none of them hold a candle to game one. Right. Oh, he's 10-0 against him, except for the most important game he pitched in. That one, they beat him. That should be it. That's the Bottom line. Talk about burying the lead. I mean, the lead is in the postseason. Now, Kershaw won game four on short rest at City Field, so I want to acknowledge that. They brought him back on short rest. Mets were up 2-1. Steven Matz started that game for the Mets. We lost. Series went back to L.A. We all know what happened. Jacob DeGrom put his balls on the table and said, hello, I am king. Um, but he lost to the Mets. So I, I am so sick of hearing about it. He's undefeated against the Mets. He lost to the Mets in the divisional series when it mattered the most. Anyhow, how about Denny Reyes? Denny Reyes was tremendous, and he just got sent down. Unbelievable. I'll get to that in a second, too, because there's a bunch of roster moves. Uh, so, J.D. Martinez hit two home runs. Luckily, Pete Hoffman isn't here to lecture us about how, I'm kidding, Pete, how we should have signed J.D. J.D.'s great. J.D. hit two home runs, drove in like every freaking run. It was unbelievable. I thought McGill was okay. I know five innings, three runs, four walks doesn't sound good. There were a ton of base runners. The reason I say he was okay is because all of the runs he gave up were the home run balls. The two-run home run of J.D. in the first, the home run in the third inning, And I thought he did an incredible job of getting through trouble because it could have been far worse. It should have been far worse. It should have been a a bombing, to be honest with you. I mean, he had 11 base runners against him in five innings. And I said this about Carrasco, he's gone. I say it about Peterson and McGill for now until the reinforcements come back, assuming they ever do. I just want them to keep me in games. That's my bar for Tyler McGill. It'd be great if he turned into something more, but... You go five innings, three runs. It's not great. It sort of kept me in the game. I mean, think about it. In seventh inning, Mets are a base hit away from getting back into it. So it wasn't a great performance, but 
I, I was encouraged by the way he battled, especially the way he ended the game in the fifth inning. They were set up with bases loaded, one out, and somehow he got out of it. So I would give it like a C performance, but, you know, he kept him in the game. John Curtis didn't. He's the one who let the, you know, basically dropped it in the eighth inning, turned a 3 nothing game into a 5 nothing game, and allowed us all to go to sleep. But that was Clayton Kershaw's night. Congratulations to him. As much as we riffed on the whole, the Mets have beaten him in the biggest spot, Clayton Kershaw is one of the greatest pitchers I've ever seen. Like, if I'm literally ranking, and I don't want to do the big game thing, because it's not about big games. It's about watching a guy pitch. I think Clayton Kershaw is, I'm trying to think how I would rank it. Pedro, number one. I think Pedro is the greatest pitcher I've ever seen because of who he dominated. And in the era that in which he dominated, Yeah. Ah, boy, that's a tough one. Pedro. Randy, Randy Johnson. No, I know who's on the list. I, I don't know the order. Randy okay. Johnson, so Roger give, give Clemens. Clayton Kershaw, DeGrom. Did, I love DeGrom. He's not He's not on the list. I'm sorry. I love Jake. He had a couple of really good years. It's not enough. I need a little bit more. Greg Maddox is very high on the list. Maybe number one or number two. I think it's Pedro one. All right. Without ranking them. Bartolo Colon, <laughs> of course. It's those guys, though. Yeah. It's Pedro Martinez, Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson, Clayton Kershaw. Of this era, because here's what's funny. We're a little bit older now. Clayton Kershaw is a different era. Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson. That's that's our childhood. That's our childhood. Yes. In our adulthood, dude, it's Clayton Kershaw. And let me make this very clear. I'm not going to argue with you. It's not close. I agree. Justin Verlander is a Hall of Famer. It's not close. It's not. Max Scherzer is a Hall of Famer. It's not close. So I guess the... The real order of this is it's impossible to compare him to those guys. In our era, it's not close. He's the greatest pitcher of this, let's call it 2007 to City Field era. In the new stadium era of City Field and Yankee Stadium, it's Clayton Kershaw number one, and it is a big drop off. Big drop off. Is it Jake too? I don't know. The DeGrom thing's complicated because I don't think he did it long enough. So like it, Scherzer, it would have to be Scherzer then. Yeah, Scherzer, It would have Verlander. to be Scherzer, Verlander, then maybe Jake. Uh, Scherzer, Verlander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scherzer, but there's Verlander. a big drop-off, unless yeah. we're missing somebody. Uh, I don't think we are, though, because I feel like it's one of those things where we just come right to our brain here. Yep, yep, those are the guys. Uh, a couple of other things. Let's get to the Carrasco injury. Carlos Carrasco was sent back to New York. He had imaging on his inflamed right elbow. He had soreness and swelling. There is recent between-start bullpen session is the way it was described. He had an elbow issue at the end of spring training. Buck Showalter said no big deal. Here was the update that we got on Wednesday. It's a small bone chip in his right elbow. It's causing the swelling and discomfort. The hope is, and this is really what matters, when's he going to pitch? The hope is the injection he received today will allow him to resume pitching in two weeks. Otherwise, he could be facing surgery, which, what does surgery mean? Is that the season? Is that two months? I don't know. I would say this to my fellow Met fan, and call me negative, call me whatever you want. I don't think he throws another pitch for the New York Mets ever. I agree with you. I agree with you. This is door number one. He's back in a week. Door number two, he's gone forever. It's always door number two. He's not going to throw another pitch. Look, he wasn't effective anyway. I mean, he shot. I mean, a lot of the rotation is old and and hurt, but Carrasco to me is the worst of anybody. When they put that out there, and that, that's classic Mets, it's like, blah, 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 he might be back, and oh, by the way, surgery, uh, we're not ruling that out. Right. He's having surgery, he's out for the year, he's never pitching for the Mets again. Yeah, uh, that's 
They'll do a they'll do a tribute video for him in three years I, when he comes back as a coach for somebody and Evan's scoring a game. That will definitely happen. I believe Jose Quintana will throw a pitch sooner than Carlos Carrasco will for the New York Mets. And it puts him in a tough spot. Now, uh, Budo can't come back. Now, when a guy gets hurt, you could bring a guy back within 10 days, but they already use that move. So it has to be directly for a guy who gets hurt. And so since they already made a move, Budo can't be the guy. So it looks like Joey Lucchese is going to be the guy. And then the hope is Verlander's coming back. Because if Verlander comes back, and by the way, the, the update was bullpen session on Sunday, minor league rehab start after that. I don't think he needs a minor league rehab start. And here's why. I'm not being dangerous. When you pitch in a rehab game versus pitching in the major leagues, it's the same thing. You're pitching. Like, there's no greater injury risk. You're not trying harder in one place. You're you're pitching. You're making sure you're good to go. Usually you go on rehabs because you got to start to build up your pitch count, build up how many innings you could throw. The Mets get so few innings from their starting pitchers right now. And with the DH, because you don't have to worry about pinch inning. Dude, if he goes three innings, fine. They just got three innings from Scherzer. Right. Like, I would rather piggyback him with another long guy if you don't think he could go more than five. So you could go Verlander, Lucchese. Like, you could keep Lucchese on the roster and have Verlander make the start, quote-unquote, and have him go for So even if he's not ready to pitch 100 pitches or 90 pitches, have him make the rehab start at the major league level because why the hell not? Well, you're getting Verl- uh, Verlander for four innings, too. I'd rather have Verlander for four innings than whoever the hell else is pitching for four innings. I agree. So let him iron out the kinks up here. It makes perfect sense. He could go four shutout innings. Great gives us a chance to win that game. Budo deserves another start, though. So if this is something long-term where they need another arm, whether Scherzer serves a suspension. uh, By the way, speaking of the Scherzer thing, I'll do this right now because we've already talked about Carrasco in the rotation. You know the deal. Lucchese, you know, Budo, all that. Umpire Dan Bellino on the Scherzer rejection. We talked about what Max said. We talked about what Buck didn't say. Dan Bellino says... It was far more than we have ever seen on a pitcher in live action. <laughs> and we understand the repercussions of re- removing a pitcher from the game. This is clearly something that went too far. It went over the line. So they are basically saying, these umpires, there was way too much stuff there. Wow. We had to do it. It's we like, had no choice. It's like uh, Evan, son, Jet. If you put, like, you know, cake in the fridge and you're like, all right, Jet, you could have one slice, but that's it. We're putting the rest of the fridge. And meanwhile, you see him an hour later. He's got chocolate over his face, and you know he snuck into the fridge now, and ate all the cake. Now, here's more from him, all right? It was so sticky. <laughs> we're talking about baseball now, right? It okay. was so sticky that when we touched his hand, our fingers were sticking to his hand. And whatever was on there remained on our fingers for a couple of innings. It was far more than we've ever seen on a pitcher in live action. The level of stickiness on his hand was much worse than it it was even in the initial inspection that had taken place two innings prior. This was the stickiest that it has ever been since I've inspecting hands, which now goes back three seasons. It was far stickier than anything we felt certainly today and anything this year. And so in that case, we felt we had... We had two chances to clean it up, and he didn't. This sounds like puberty for Evan. So this is the <laughs> stickiest of hands they've ever seen. So, like Max. Max, first of all, he went on this huge rant that he's not an idiot. Meanwhile, they're telling you that he had more sticky stuff on his hands than anybody they've ever inspected. Well, here, here's the bottom line. Here's the way this thing's going to end, because none of us know. No. All right? I was drawn in by Max's I'm swearing on my kids thing. That's a tough one. That's a very tough one. Yeah. 
Dan Bellino did not back down. Like, he basically said this is the stickiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And you can insert your jokes. We'll have fun with that on Carton Roberts. Yeah, this is the Rico. We yeah. do, do more uh, in the weeds here. <laughs> but they are both kind of saying. Oh, they, they call this Evan digging in. Digging in. You that see this on uh, yeah. CNN and Fox News every night. Yeah, they're yeah. digging in. And so the glove, my understanding, will end up at the offices of Major League Baseball. And they're going to tell us what was there. I mean, this is going to be like CSI. This is fascinating. Now, how many people inspect the glove once it get back? It gets back to Manhattan. Is there like a team of people? Do they hold it under a microscope? Like, what is the process of looking at this glove? And here's the other thing too: we're talking about this. This isn't, uh, you know, some pitcher on the Royals. This is Max Scherzer, yeah. future Hall of Famer, playing in New York City. This is a big one so, here because this is. And Boris talked about it. His legacy. I don't want to say is on the line. Nah, it's not I think that's line. obviously a stretch, but. If you get this attached to you, that, hey, he might have had too much sticky stuff, there will be people that will always say, well, oh, yeah, because Cola took forever. Yeah. He's finally now shook it. Max is not going to have enough okay, time. He's not going to pitch that much Here's longer. what helps Max, and I rolled my eyes when the question was asked to Max, but it, it is considered in this. His spin rates had no difference today. Like, his spin rate was not way up. Like, ooh, what caused the Musgrove thing, to go back to that, was that the Mets were noticing that his spin rate that night against the Mets was off the charts. It was abnormal. It was an abnormal spin. Now, are there other factors besides using sticky stuff that can lead to, on a certain night, getting more spin on your baseball? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you're so far pumped up, so far focused, that it's just spinning better. I, I don't know. I can't answer that. But... Max Scherzer, at least in this game, there was no difference. There was The spin was not through the roof where something was noticeable. And I do think whether it should be a factor, it will be a factor. That that's going to help him a little bit. That there was nothing abnormal about the way the baseball was spinning out of his hands. Because the reason baseball is so adamant about this is because of the spin rates. And the reason they're adamant about the spin rates is they don't want as many swing and misses as we've seen over the last few years. It's not even about injuries. It's not about that because they want pitchers to be able to grip the baseball and control it. They're working with the players on that. It's not about that. It's about the spin because if it spins a lot, guys swing and miss. If guys swing and miss, there's less offense. If there's less offense, there's less action. This all goes back to the same stuff with the pitch clock. They're trying to speed up the game but make it more action-filled, and that's what this is all about, by the way. That's the truth behind why do they care so much about sticky stuff. It's not the integrity of the game. No. It's there are too many swing and misses. What can we do? And one of the things they absolutely can do, that's why they're doing it, is let's try to make the ball not spin as much abnormally. So I think that's going to help them a little bit. But this is going to be interesting over the next few days because it's MLB investigating the umpires versus Max Scherzer. It's going to be comical. No, seriously, it's it's going to be levels of silliness because now we're investigating a baseball glove and agents are going to get involved and baseball is going to get involved and the Mets are going to get involved and the Dodgers might even get involved. And it's just going to be it's going to be a circus. Yeah. I don't think this is going to like Max and Scott Boris are not going to go quietly into the night and maybe he's exonerated and is all good and he's not suspended and Phil Cuzzy is just a hall monitor or whatever. But I just think it's just going to play out in a very funny fashion. Right, a couple of other things. Buck lying about Tim, Brett Beatty and Tim LeCaster was so odd to me. <laughs> Buck was asked a very good question, a question we discussed on the last Rico. Why now? Why was Brett Beatty called up now? And Buck says, because uh, we got a guy hurt. Tim LeCaster, we got hurt. The news of Beatty coming up 
came out Sunday morning. Tim LaCastro played on Sunday. He pinch ran on Sunday. He stole a base on Sunday. He then gets hurt, back spasms, IL, Bucks telling us, yeah, we're only bringing him up because LaCastro got hurt. Now, unless you're telling me LaCastro was already hurt, played injured, stole a base, what the hell is Buck talking about? And I don't understand these stupid lies. Like, just say he's playing really well. <laughs> like, it's it's so easy. Hey, hey, guys, why'd we call him up? He's hitting 900 at AAA, and our starting third baseman, we love him, is not performing at a high enough level. So we thought, hey, let's let's bring him up. Or don't even bring up Escobar. You want to play it? Play it up. Hey, the guy deserves it. The guy went down to AAA. He's done everything we asked him to do. He deserved to be called up. For Buck to bring up LaCastro getting hurt, I'm not mad about it. I just think it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Now, they made a lot of roster moves the last couple of days. They put LaCastro on the IL. Budo went to AAA. They called up a reliever, Edwin Yuseta, who we have not seen yet. They called up Red Beatty. They put Carrasco on the IL. They called up Jeb Brigham, who looks pretty good. And then this one. Tommy Hunter is back. Okay, fine. He deserves to be back. Denny Reyes, who has pitched very well, got sent down. And this is one of those unfortunate guy-has-options games kind of situations. Denny Reyes will be back. He deserves to be back. He's pitched really well since coming up here. But it's just one of those unfortunate things. Uh, Jimmy Yacobonis may end up back at, down in the minors pretty soon after throwing so many innings, even though he's pitched well. So they're making more moves in their bullpen, but their bullpen is overall pitched really, really well. Now, let me get to the stat because uh, we've done enough Rico. Right? We've been going on and on for a long time. We all need a break. Evan's got to go home and watch highlights of Kendall Gill when yeah. he was on the Nets. That, that, that's what he's going to be doing tonight. Well, we are recording this for anyone, depending on when you're listening. We recorded this right after Cardin Roberts on Wednesday evening. I also DVR'd the Islander game, DVR'd the Yankee game. So when I go home, spend some time with my wife, and then I'm going to be like on three-hour delay watching an Islander playoff game and a Yankee regular well, season They're game. already down 3 nothing. the Islanders. Hey, so hey, bother. You they're down, be, they, they're down 3 nothing. And as be, you said last night. You better be effing with me. 2 nothing Rangers after the first period. Game's over. It, so the Islanders, I'm sorry to you and your fans. You better be effing with me. Uh, you'll be heading home now down two games. Oh, the series? I thought well, you are telling me no, the score of game two. It's 3 nothing right now. No, you better be lying. Uh, well, what do you call when me? When I get Walker? home, when, you better be bucking. Okay. When I get home, oh, it's a phrase, it's a verb now. When I get home, if the Islanders are ever down 3 nothing, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Anyhow, here's a stat for you. And I don't want anybody to draw conclusions or opinions from this. It's a stat. Okay? It's a fascinating stat. All right? All right. Since the trade deadline of a year ago, there were two baseball players that were traded. One guy's name is Juan Soto. The other guy's name is Daniel Vogelback. Since the trade, that includes last year and obviously this year. Juan Soto has played 72 games. Daniel Vogelback has played 68 games. So both guys have played a roughly amount around the same amount of games, a little bit less than half a season. Juan Soto has taken 314 plate appearances. Daniel Vogelback has taken 221. So that's significantly different. Soto's gotten up about 90 more times. Daniel Vogelback is hitting 251. Juan Soto is hitting 225. I'm not kidding. Daniel Vogelback's OPS is 825. Juan Soto's OPS is 780. Really? Juan Soto has hit 10 home runs with 26 RBIs. Daniel Vogelback has 7 home runs with 31 RBIs. 
Daniel Vogelback has a higher OPS, has driven in more runs, three less home runs, a significantly higher batting average in about 90 less plate appearances. Your thoughts? Well, I think it's it's obvious. The Mets are going to give Daniel Vogelback a $500 million contract whenever his <laughs> contracts are based on those stats. Dude, I don't know what the deal is. The OPS, I know Soto has not hit for high average with the Padres. He's been good. He hasn't been outstanding. I don't get it. I thought he'd have at least a higher OPS because, you know, if he takes a pitch, they call it a ball. And then he's bitching about the, uh, you know, the pitch clock. That's astounding, dude. That's really. astounding. Yeah, and, astounding. And I want to make something clear. This was not done as a defense of Daniel Vogelback at all. If anything, it's a what the hell happened to Juan Soto? Because has Daniel Vogelback been a good man? No. Eh, no, I wouldn't say no. Like no. Those numbers are not. Be- he has an 825 OPS. He gets on base a lot. He has not hit enough home runs. I will totally agree with that. Seven home runs in 68 games is not enough. He was brought here to mash, and he hasn't done that. Okay. No, I agree with that. I think he's been okay. He's been okay. He's not been as good as they need him to be. They need that production from left-handed DH to be better. I will give you that. The fact that he's outperforming Juan Soto is dumbfounding. It's more of an, obviously, an indictment on Soto, Absolute, and that's the, why we're bringing it up. It's about Soto. It's yeah. not about Vogelback, because I'm not trying to convince you Vogelback's awesome. I'm just presenting that. Could you imagine if the Mets or the Yankees had made a trade for this guy, and this was the production? Yeah, I mean, it's not even oh like he changed God. leagues. Because sometimes you use that excuse, like, you change leagues, it takes yeah. a little time to adjust. He stayed in the National League, and he just hasn't performed. And he's on a team now that's all in. Obviously, the Padres are tr- doing everything they can to win. God bless them. Crazy. But Soto's a centerpiece of that. And when Daniel Vogelback, who is in, in Evan Words, not mine, has been okay he's on been the okay. Mets, uh, is outperforming him by, quite frankly, a lot, that's absurd. Yeah. Now, I think Soto will wake up. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. I do not think yeah. this will be Juan Soto for the rest of his Look, career. It's just one of those weird anomalies. At this moment, would I still want to sign Juan Soto in a year and a half? Yeah, but the more this continues, the more concerning it would be. Well, we're way, signing Otani. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Or how about both? How about both guys? But before, and I know you got to run, but I, I think it's important to the Rico what? fans and to Evan. Have I missed anything, by we, the way? We missed one one thing. Go ahead. And I don't want people to think we're ignoring it. No, no, go ahead. Evan is a, a massive Jacob deGrom supporter. I am a Massive Jacob DeGrom supporter. Oh, the injury? Evan, I have not had a sore wrist since puberty, frankly. I use that, <laughs> I use that, I use that joke twice. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's tough. It's tough. Do I think he's going to make his next start? Fine. Sore wrist? I'm not a major league pitcher, if, obviously, but if sore DeGrom wrist? was here leaving after four no-hit innings with a sore wrist, he would be crucified. I would probably rip him, too, to be fair. Like, I, I don't think I would be as vitriolic as others, but I would certainly say, what's going on now? A sore wrist? I think the the thing to keep in mind about the DeGrom discussion for now is it will always, to me, for now, be compared to Verlander. And until Verlander pitches for this team, what are we supposed to say? DeGrom has at least pitched. Yeah. Verlander hasn't thrown a pitch yet. For Absolutely. The and look, this is a this is a hill to die on for both of us. Whenever I'll do shows, you do shows. We'll argue with Met fans about this and why Met fans hate Jacob DeGrom. And I think it's simple. It's because the Mets and the media have told you to hate him. And I really fully believe this in my soul. And and I'll speak for Evan here. You can tell me if I'm wrong. He didn't get along with the owner. Like, he wasn't nice to him. They didn't go out to dinner. He was aloof. He wanted to go home. And he wanted a new shiny toy here so he can go out to dinner with, you know, Justin Verlander, Kate Upton. That's what he wanted. And that's why Jake's not here. I, I, we could argue about whether Jake's out there pitching and Verlander's out there pitching, but I truly believe that. He, it, that's no, what but happened. All I'm saying, and I, I agree with you, but all I'm saying about this is that when Jake gets hurt, and it happened in February, there's this Met fan reaction of, see, it's Jake, I told you, so, all that. 
I don't want to hear it until the guy who replaced him does something. Because I have a tough time listening to, oh, DeGrom left after four innings. At least he threw four innings. Our other guy hasn't pitched yet. But the same Met fan, if Jake threw every inning, he was, never got hurt all year, they'd go, see, I told you he was faking no, I, injuries. Listen, I told listen, you. So, but on my, the it's anti, a losing argument. The no anti-Jakers are going to want to win either way. They're going to spin it either way. That's yes. all. Just a little no, I get that. Because he did leave after four innings with a sore wrist. I was like, could you just come up with something With better? a no-hitter, too, <laughs> which I've seen before. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, we'll have another Rico coming up soon. I'll probably do a couple of them because it's a four-gamer with the Giants. So we'll mix one in over the weekend and then give you one after the series ends on Sunday night because they are playing the Sunday night game. So that's going to be a freaking late night. But enjoy it. So far, this road trip's been awesome. Oh, yeah. I said before the trip I would sign for 5-1. and one. Uh, Five and five. I want to make things clear now. At 5-1, and one, I would no longer sign for 5-5. Five and five. <laughs> The bar has changed. Now get me a split in San Francisco. 7-3. and three. We all have a party. Thank you for listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 